happy that you've been able to join me, Tabidi, because your background is so multifaceted. And I think that folks really need an opportunity to, to kind of hear from you. So thank you for, for joining me. We made it happen. We made it happen. Of course, <laughs> you know, you've been so long and just, you know, I'm honored to be a part of anything that you do. You can count on me. You've just been so phenomenal for so many years. So, so I'm just glad to just have this conversation with you. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Now, listen, you are phenomenal in your own right. You're former representative of the Obama Fatherhood Initiative. You currently mm -hmm. do work with My Brother's Keeper and the Obama Foundation. Um, mm -hmm. And you do a myriad of things connecting our youth to uh, professional sports and just giving them experiences that they wouldn't normally get. And you're still in that space. But people don't really, a lot of people, I should say, don't really know your background and kind of the experience that you bring to that conversation. So why don't you share with folks kind of how you were raised and your experiences? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, it's a funny thing as you say that, is that because of, and you know this, because of when we've reached that success level and like people see me around professional sports, the White House and all the stuff that I've done publicly, they never think to say, well, wait a minute, where did all that journey come from? And most people believe that I came from a, well-knit, equipped, you know, background and family and environment, but I came from actually, you know, uh, not only I would consider, but so many would consider very, very tough, tough um, beginnings. So I was born and raised out of the tough streets of Brooklyn, New York, particularly Brownsville. And Brownsville is just like a whole nother world. You talk about drugs, crime, violence, peer pressure, all those kind of pitfalls, you know, poverty the housing developments and all that kind of stuff. So you didn't really see a lot of positive things. And so, so you take that environment on the outside and then like most kids like myself on the inside, then it becomes like, well, what kind of now family do we get born into? So I was born to a 13-year-old mother who got pregnant with me and my father was 21, 22 years old. So that whole dynamic in and of itself was very dysfunctional. Now, did you and grow so, up with your mom and your dad, even with the age difference? Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you, let me, let me just tell you who did that. My grandmother. So with her being such a Christian, Christian woman, mm -hmm. and my father lived on one floor, his family, my mother lived on another floor, and then he just kept seeing this little cute little girl, and one thing happened. So my father knew he could have went to jail for statutory rape. So through the conversation from the way I was told that he did not want to go to jail, he did profess that he loved my mother. My mother kind of in a weird way, I guess, felt that they could try to make this go. So my grandmother suggested that they needed to get married. But what ended up happening when they got married, um, my mother ended up from 13 to 16 getting married. And my father's a little bit older. And what ended up happening that my grandmother kind of thought from a Christian spiritual way that it would work out. But what actually happened, it married into a very, very violent, violent situation where, you know, my mom was just subjected to, you know, constant, you know, beatings by my father. Um, she wasn't allowed to kind of, even though she was 16, she couldn't really be a wife and a mother. He was just very domineering. And my father was just a street guy. He was a street hood, gangster. He had the perm, the process hairdo, the gun on his hip. Dice games, crap games, you know, that was the street life that my father had. And so through all that violence and struggle. So once I got about five, six, seven years old, I could still remember very clearly 
you know, just the negative experiences I saw in the house from the domestic violence and abuse. So you and remember a lot of that. So even oh, yeah. zero, three, yeah. I mean, some stuff really, really still stand out. For an example, my father was so crazy in his own way. He used to put my mother's beatings on a schedule. Like, wait, wait, like, you were just perceiving that it was a schedule or he no, actually had a schedule? schedule? And see, my uncle was a pimp too. So I came from an environment where controlling women and they better do this and they better do that. And they have, you have to order them a certain way. And if they don't follow through with that, then there's always consequences. So I used to hear my mother, my father say, by the time I get home, this, this, this better occur. If it doesn't, then you're going to answer to me. And a lot of my uncles that way, a lot of the men that I saw in the neighborhood, they were the same way treating the women like that. So I knew by a certain time at night, you start hearing the bam, 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 the beats because of the schedule. And then the next morning, you knew what was going to happen because now you saw the, bru the bruises and all the marks and all the stuff that my mom went through. And so, you know, so I remember two incidents. One, I remember very clearly when I was eight years old. We on Christmas Day, my father just was in another zone in terms of his behavior again. And he lifted my mother up and body slammed her on the project floor. And everybody knows who lived in the projects, you got that hard floor. Concrete, yeah. yeah. And he made her head open and I was almost out of the socket. So Christmas for me never really meant the same since then yeah. because of that beating. So I'm spending Christmas Day um, at a hospital. And luckily, my aunt was there, my mother's older sister, to kind of say, hey, you're going to kill her. So, you know, that was one major incident. And then, of course, the other one, when I was 12, my mother went to the top of the project roof where we live, seven stories up. Mm -hmm. She decided she didn't want to live anymore, go through all that stuff she was going through. So she jumped off the roof and she landed. And, and um, luckily, she lived. So, which is crazy, she lived. So I was playing basketball. One of the friends came and said, yo, your mother's at the top of the roof. I said, wait a minute, you must be telling a joke. But some say, drop the basketball. So I dropped the basketball. And then I run a block and a half from the park, the playground, to around the building. As I turn the building, who's leaping off is my mother. So and you so, actually saw it happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's not that big. So when she jumped, she came you know, with her legs. So when she um, landed on that hard grass, you got the hard grass sidewalk in the street. So she landed on the hard grass. So it's almost like a pretzel when it collapsed. Mm -hmm. So she collapsed. So her legs just kind of went up into her chest and just, you know, everything broke. So the blood and everything. And so, yeah. so when you're dealing with that kind of trauma experiences, uh, in the home, in the neighborhood, every other day. Did you hear about our best friend just got killed? Do you hear about so-and-so on the fifth floor just got killed? So all that trauma, and you're talking about, um, and I know for me, I'm speaking for me, I wanted to go back to my schools and around my basketball coaches and express how I was feeling. Mm -hmm. But again, growing up in the hood, we're taught, dust it off. Right. So, so speaking of that, though, Tabidi, did you, I know it's 2022 and people think of things totally different, but mm -hmm. did you ever get or receive formal counseling or have even a neighbor or someone that you talk to on a regular basis about everything that you saw? Um, not formally, no, not formally, but through the basketball coaches, uh, I was always a good student. I was a good student school. So everybody knew when my mother jumped off the roof, everybody knew the schools, the neighborhood was in a 
media in the um, newspapers and the news. So a lot of teachers did take interest in me. And through that, I was allowed to kind of just share a little bit okay. around some stuff that's going on. Because here's the problem was, so when my mother came out of the hospital home, she said, you better not tell our business and you better not talk about it. So I couldn't just go and openly share and say, mom, can we deal with counseling? Let's talk about this. And that's a she lot in our culture. It. That's a lot in our culture. In fact, when I started this podcast and I shared with some people that Part of the, you know, part of the reason I did it was for the purpose of transparency because it's free right. and you can't receive help or support if you don't open up. But I think a lot of this is cultural where you're told, you know, yeah. don't put my business in the street, you know, unless somebody's paying your bills, you know, the, that kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they don't need to know anything, you know, so you figure it out on your own. But in your case, I'm trying to figure out, you know, you hear things all the time with people who grow up Mm -hmm. in traumatic situations and maybe you have multiple kids and one child goes this way and does the same thing. And the other one takes a totally different path. What do you think it was for you that allowed you to take all of those really, really traumatic experience experiences and make you into the man that you are to be able to convert that and give back? Yeah, uh, tremendous question. Uh, my answer is simple. Uh, two things. One, I was a gifted basketball player. So basketball became a different thing for me. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just recreational, but basketball became something as almost like my therapy. So every time I did well and, and did good, I got the endorsements and the accolades, you know, from the community and everybody around me. So that kind of balanced the trauma and all the stuff that I was, the painful things, but all the good news, the trophies and, you know, the pats on the back and people showing interest, it kind of gave that balance. But also I do remember, you know, my coaches and certain best friends and certain teachers that I still would, you know, confide in and talk about, you know, what was bothering me, what was troubling me around those experiences. And so I kind of looked at the environment and I said, you know, it's gotta be something better than this. Mm-hmm. So, so that was your motivation. Mm-hmm. And, and you, and so, that, so that was your motivation. In some respects, it was probably a good distraction, right? So that you can kind of re, re, rejigger and, and rebalance yourself. Do you feel like you ever fully processed? Because you mentioned a few different things, right? And you, mm-hmm. you just thankfully shared a couple of incidents that were top of mind. But do you feel mm-hmm. like you ever fully processed those? And if you did, what age were you when you did it? Yeah, I, I think to answer that question, and I did talk with a few psychologists along the way, and for me, processing it is in like several phases. Like there was a time where what I just shared, I couldn't do it without getting emotion and crying. But that meant that I'm still dealing with some things, mm-hmm. but I've learned how to put it in perspective. Mm-hmm. And one, I was carrying too much weight and pain by my parents, things I couldn't control. I didn't cause that but I was carrying so much of that when I needed to separate myself from that and put it in perspective. Can we pause there? Because I think so many men are going to relate to hearing you say that. Just the fact that you recognize that the weight that you were carrying, you said I was carrying too much of the weight of my parents, the burdens of your parents with you. And I think just recognizing what's yours to own and like sift through versus what you're carrying is gonna is like so cute. Was that kind of part of your? your that's me, and I think that's what holds. That's why when people meet me and see me, and they're like, "Wow, your spirit is so different. You have a certain energy about you that nobody would suspect that you've been through." Because I knew how to say, "You know what? 
I can't own all of that. But most of us, especially in the Black community, we own so much and we carry so much of that weight to the next experience, the next experience, the next. And then what happens is when experiences become so negative and compounding with each other, mm-hmm. now we become um, slaves and held hostage around those emotions and we never gets released from it. Yeah. And so we never can see that door open to the possibilities of the fact that it takes a lot of strength to overcome those things and to drive us towards so things that, you know, society and life is waiting for us around successful things. But I think for me, if I wanted to be a successful student, basketball player and fulfill all these different dreams, I couldn't carry that kind of luggage with me. And right. so I got about 15, 16, when I knew certain things were just really, really looking promising for me, mm-hmm. that's when I really consciously would separate it. And even though my mother and father would still push things on me, I would push back on it. So how did that impact you? How did that impact you as a parent? Because you're also a dad. And so you talked about carrying the weight of your parents. This, it doesn't go away. None of our traumas go away. We just figure out ways to understand it, process it and move on. So give, give me an example where maybe some of your past trauma popped up when you had to like play dad yourself. How did that look? Um, well, when I became a teenage dad with Kim, um, trying to figure out how am I going to go to college, how am I going to do certain things, so that exact that anxiety did creep into me, and it started compounding with I deserve this, I caused this, all this happened, this happened when I was born, this happened next, so now I done got somebody pregnant, now I'm a father, so all this stuff didn't happen, but I had to kind of say no, 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 I have to break this cycle, I got to hold strong to what is my game plan and how am I gonna get through through? Because the thing that stood out to me, um, Jack, is that I did not want to bring another generation into this trauma. So Kim deserved to have the best freedom of an emotional dad that would be in her best interest to get the best of me as a father. When I wanted to go to school, I didn't wanna bring all that stuff with me as a basketball player, a student, trying to get my degree and also being a parent with my daughter on campus. So I had to kind of really separate that and process that and keep that in tight. And whenever I did would feel those moments, Mm -hmm. I knew when it would trigger and I knew how to now separate myself and get into my own little space to sort that out. Do you feel like you had permission or what? I'm sorry, continue. um, I like that word permission. Because you were a teenage dad. So this isn't like, this isn't the Tabidi that we're looking at now. That's like, listen, this is the way it is. You're a teenage dad. You're still carrying all that burden. And you said, okay, I had to figure out how to catch myself, my triggers and recenter. That took the emotional maturity of like a 80 year old to do that in my, yeah. in my vantage point. But do you feel like you had permission to be vulnerable while you were doing that? I had to give myself the permission. I think for all of us, and I say it because sometimes I was caught up into that and I meet a lot of the fathers and a lot of the men and the boys, even at eight, nine, 10 years old, 15 years old. What we do, we're not giving ourselves permission and what we have done rightfully so. I spent so many years trying to get the permission from my mother, which I felt she should be the one to explain it to me. What happened? Why this and why that? I just have the same thing from my father. Why are you doing this? Why is that happening? They would never give me any answers. By that, they would not give me the permission. Mm-hmm. 
So I had to own and take that permission for myself and say, you know what? I'm going to give myself permission to say, this is how I'm going to feel about this. This is how I'm going to process this. And this is how I'm going to really put myself in position to take my bad experiences, turn it into positive, and accept the fact that I did go through these things. But what is my takeaways from that that allows me to be uh, the permission to be vulnerable, to cry, to express myself, to feel? Even if it means feeling like the worst of me is the worst. And it's okay. It's okay to break down. It's okay to feel like I'm having a bad day. And once I started showing others that, more support came. And that opened up more freedom for me to now express and, you know, build on that. And it actually gave me the permission to say, you know what? In spite of that, the world still deserves to give me what I've earned and what I deserve to have. And you deserve it. So you told yourself, you told yourself you deserve it. I still tell myself to this day, every now and then I got to look in that mirror and say, you know what? You deserve this for you. Give yourself permission. Because sometimes subconsciously, we're waiting for that validation from the world and others. And when we don't get it, at the end of the day, God's saying, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is between you and I. It starts with you. So I've learned the habit of giving yourself permission. I taught my daughter that. I taught fathers that. And I shared it as a public speaker in a figure. Um, give yourself permission and give yourself the right to feel. Hmm. whatever you feel. And at the end of the day, once you own and give yourself the permission, now you have the permission to also take those feelings and just run with it and just live yourself, be the best you and just make it happen. And, and again, from what I've seen, all the spiritual energy is going to come into your life and just make good things happen. And I think if I never gave myself permission, the things I'm doing now, what God had me in place to do to turn around, to give back and help others would have never occurred. So well, I, I think you're going to add pastor. I think you're yeah. adding pastor, pastor boom to your yeah. titles and to your list of things because I'm hearing a word today. So yeah, I asked I ask myself, you did? why did I watch my mom at 12? But I didn't realize till later, mm-hmm. I got that experience because I'm going to be the best spokesperson and poster boy to share to others. How do you get through it? Because I went through something that most people would not get through. So it's interesting you say that because um, when I see, um, you know, my son sometimes has struggles and I say to him, you, this is your testimony. So instead of like, you know, miring yourself in a why me, why me, why did this happen to me? Why did it have to be me? Why not you? And what I hear you saying is the Mm -hmm. same thing that I tell him, which is this is your testimony. So where you Mm -hmm. are right now, begin to vision and see yourself outside of the situation and take note of each step and the whole journey, because you're going to have to share that with somebody else. And that's Mm -hmm. why God, and you're the best person to do that. And that's why God has you going through this and not somebody else. So I love to hear you say that because you're on the other side to reinforce that. Yes. Yes. We have to, we have to give ourselves permission. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to cry. It's okay to just, like I said, just break it down. And I see a lot more men doing that and incorporating that. And I've also seen a lot of them respond back to me, say, you know what? I'm glad I was able to do that. Because a part of our manhood is the vulnerability that we're not really being taught. Part of our manhood is that, you know, we need to give ourselves permission. We need to know that there's an another emotional side that's not always just wrapped around this 
false bravado and you know insecurity about how Lady, we must that's a word that to. is a word so you know it's so important because i think the perception is that crying emoting is is the opposite of being a man and what i hear you saying is no vulnerability is what being a man is about it's a part of manhood just like lifting oh. lifting bricks right i mean the physical side of it right and to the world that really understands that whether it's women other people Males, vulnerability is very attractive. It's a very attractive character trait that really gets into the core of part of the essence of who we are. Without that piece, we only given parts of ourselves that's real, but then there's another parts of ourselves that's not real. And we keep having this imposter syndrome about ourselves that's not giving the fullness of ourselves. Because again, there were times where I would go home, like, wait a minute. I'm now seeing another side of me that the world don't see, but I'm seeing it at home with all the boo-hooing and crying and all the stuff I'm going through. But the world needs to see that because at the end of the day, that's me too. Yeah. And, and that's also him and him and him. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. So I ask everyone who's on, um, on the show, um, what's your juggle? And it could be anything. It could be what you're juggling emotionally, what you're juggling work-wise, what, wherever you want to take it. So what is your juggle to BD Boom? Uh, my juggle, and I tell you, it's, it's a juggle that I, I fight with. My juggle is still to be in a position to be helpful with all the different four, five, six lanes. How can I juggle all the things that I'm around that will turn that back into helping others? How can I juggle that? The other thing that I juggle is to make sure that my daughter, my family, my mother who's still alive, my father's still alive, how can I still juggle to know that I'm still connected to a family with all the stuff we done been through, all the craziness, they still family. And how can I emotionally juggle the past with them and still know that they're my parents and still juggle uh, the fact that there's still parents that I deserve and that I'm enjoying now, but that's my juggle, juggling all these different lanes and emotions and things like that. But the end of the day is I wanna juggle and just give the best of myself to everybody I'm in contact with, especially fathers, black men and boys who don't get enough attention around this subject and conversation and the kind of trauma and things that we go through uh, around our mental health. And so I just wanna be in that space and juggling that to the best of my ability. Well, I can tell you that my experience with you, knowing you all these years, way back from the Rainbow Push Coalition events and, and things like that, is that I see the Christ in you, that anytime I've seen someone ask of you, you have given, anytime I've asked of your time, of your counsel, just a conversation, you've always been there. So you are definitely, from my vantage point, living your goals. So I appreciate you. Nothing but love for you. Mm -hmm. And one thing I will close up by saying, when we... Part of our vulnerability is our give back. And when we do that, that's part of our healing process. And I had to learn that. So when I give, you feel the healing inside yourself. And it, there's no room for the trauma when you're giving back. That's a word. Appreciate your time.